today. Um, I'm going to try to share with you as much as possible um, from the counseling, counseling and counseling ministry that I do. Um, this morning, I'm going to uh, spend uh, a lot of time on reviewing the discipleship counseling model that I use just in general. What are some of the keys in the counseling? Um, this afternoon, um, I'm going to talk about how I use that counseling model in a marriage counseling situation. And then tonight and tomorrow morning, I'm going to talk about how I uh, kind of go off into other issues like family counseling and dealing with teenagers and, and things like that. And then we're going to talk a little bit about the local church tomorrow as well and how our counseling ministry and the counseling ministries uh, that you may be, be a part of or want to start uh, fit in with the local church as well. Okay? Um, so probably you're going to hear... Uh, a lot of different things here uh, that kind of pertain to the counseling ministry that I do. Um, sometimes I give more material than I have time, uh, but I'll try to cover as much as we can. And then we're going to do some question and answer time as well. Um, ever since my watch broke, I'm pretty dependent on my cell phone for my clock now. Uh, it's really nice when you uh, change time zones because it automatically changes itself, but... Um, Let's see here. We're supposed to go this session until 10. Um, so, boy, I will probably, um, we'll kind of see how things go. But we definitely, I definitely want to have some question and answer time, um, you know, at the end of the times that we're together here. Um, so we'll get that in as well. Okay. Um, let me kind of first start off by kind of sharing with you a little bit of ICBC of Indiana's distinctives. There's a lot of uh, different Christian counseling out there uh, to be had. Uh, there's a lot of Christians that are doing counseling. It's not necessarily biblical. Um, and, uh, in fact, we've kind of, at our office, have kind of gotten away um, from the term uh, conservative or uh, because we believe that bi biblical fits that word a little bit better. We're just biblical Christians. <laughs> biblical Christians today are conservative. Um, because there's a lot of Christians that don't want to live by the Bible, unfortunately. Um, or they want to turn it into what they want it to, to mean. Uh, but there's a lot of different counseling out there. And, uh, and so when people inquire about ICBC of Indiana, um, in particular the counseling that I do or our interns do, um, uh, we really want them to have a good understanding of what we're, what we're about. Um, because a lot of times people have a lot of... Um, you know, preconceived ideas of what counseling is about. And so uh, we like to help them understand what our distinctives are. We have these in our brochure. We have these in our website. Um, first of all, we counsel with a spiritual warfare worldview. Um, so what does that mean? Well, that means that we include the possibility of Satan's deceptions impacting our clients' lives. Now, our counseling center functions primarily as a truth encounter spiritual warfare ministry. Um, and we have found that to be very beneficial. Um, we've tailored a lot of our materials and so forth after Freedom in Christ uh, founder and uh, teacher Neil Anderson. Um, and so Ephesians 6.12 says, We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And so we try to help people 
whether it be marriage counseling or individual counseling, uh, for them to begin to look at things from a spiritual warfare worldview and not really understand how Satan can influence, not possess, but can influence uh, their behavior, sometimes influence their behavior rather greatly. Um, the second thing uh, that we uh, is a distinctive is that we want to get down to the root issues versus just changing outward behavior. Um, probably in our neck of the woods, I don't know where how it is in your woods, but in our neck of the woods, um, uh, the uh, um, the counseling that is probably most uh, used in Christian terms is nuthetic counseling. In fact, uh, um, they have their yearly big kind of conference or biennial conference uh, in a church show probably about five minutes from our office. Um, how many of you are familiar with nuthetic counseling? Jay Adams, um, Wayne Mack is a big proponent of that, John MacArthur. Um, it's very big in uh, conservative uh, reform circles, um, and that is probably one of the uh, the stronger, and it's good. I mean, it's definitely biblical, um, but they tend, there's a couple weaknesses in that. How many of you have been trained in nuthetic counseling? Anybody here? Okay. Um, the weaknesses of nuthetic counseling, I get that question all the time where I'm from because it's such a popular uh, counseling option, and a lot of churches promote it. Uh, the two uh, weaknesses that I see typically is they don't include a spiritual warfare worldview, number one. Uh, and number two, uh, they tend to dismiss any childhood issues or past issues and how they may impact your current life. Um, so that's another big one. And so when we're talking about getting down to root issues, um, uh, people that are into nuthetic counseling wouldn't want to look back into the relationship you know, that you had with your father and so forth. And so um, it can be very biblical in the sense that they will take the scriptures and try to apply it to your life. Hence comes the, you know, the word nuthetic, which means to confront with scripture, um, but, uh, you know, the whole concept of we're wanting to get down and understand there's there's deeper underlying issues behind just changing behavior. Uh, number three, reconciliation of relationships with Jesus and others versus a victim or adversarial mentality. Uh, again, this is, can be quite a trap uh, in a lot of the counseling that's being done today, um, promoting a vic- kind of a victim mentality. Um, and we at our, our at our center, and, and me as a counselor, um, we always try to promote reconciliation uh, whenever possible. Um, so whether that be between, uh, uh, could be in a uh, couple marriage situation, uh, could be even in an abusive situation, uh, it could mean also uh, with a child and parent relationship where there's been abuse, um, we just believe that we've been called as a minister of reconciliation. Um, so I personally do not counsel people to divorce. Uh, why would I want to counsel something that God hates? Um, and I'm appalled by all the Christian counselors and pastors that I hear that do such a thing. And uh, and so uh, so we we believe that uh, you know that that is kind of our role since we've been reconciled to Christ to promote reconciliation as a ministry. Now I do not see myself as a counselor as anyone's spiritual head. Um, and so many times uh, when it comes to certain issues like this, I try to encourage people to seek out their own spiritual authority in their local church um, or try to work along with them. And then number four, heart transformation versus just giving information. Um, we are very dependent upon uh, God 
to work by the power of his Holy Spirit uh, in a person's life, uh, revealing the truth of God's word, which does bring freedom from lies, conviction of sin, and, and real genuine repentance, and can bring healing uh, to the wounded heart. And so we're looking to God. So what do we do in counseling? Well, we open in prayer. <laughs> uh, and uh, we close in prayer uh, most of the time. Um, and not only that, but as issues arise within the counseling, uh, we may pray and ask God to give us wisdom, or there may be prayers of repentance or renunciation or, or healing prayer. Um, and so we're wanting to uh, look to the Holy Spirit to kind of lead and guide and direct uh, in the counseling session versus just uh, giving information. And then number five, a person must find their identity in Christ's esteem uh, versus self-esteem. So we're wanting to help our clients to understand their identity is in Christ. And I like that term, Christ-esteem. Christ-esteem is seeing myself as Jesus sees me. And uh, that's very important uh, for our people to realize that this is not some sort of self-help, uh, you know, build up myself and my own self-worth and self-esteem and self-acceptance, but we're really looking to Christ and understanding who we are in Christ um, and uh, understanding that it's out of that and living out of that new heart that Christ has given us that we can live a Christian life. So those are really some of the distinctives of our counseling center and ministry. Um, and we try to, when we have people come for counseling, it's very important for them to be un understanding of those types of issues. Um, probably, I have, uh, I get about eight new client calls a week scheduled. And, uh, you know, if I was uh, selling cars or, you know, selling something like houses or something, I'd probably be a pretty rich man. Okay, but uh, with five kids, uh, you know, I'm not, a, I'm just kind of a getting by financially type person, <laughs> but I've got a lot of people that come to me and, and want help. And so we have to filter through all those calls. And uh, part of the filter that we lay out for people um, is we want them to really understand what they're getting themselves into. Okay. Um, and now that we have a website up that gives uh, a lot of that type of information, uh, it's icbcindiana.org.org. Um, we can refer people to that. They can really get an understanding of what that's about. Um, I also would like them to have had some exposure uh, to uh, certain books. And I've got kind of a list in my mind. Uh, we're going to get ready to type this out here eventually because uh, we're kind of having to uh, make our strainer a little bit tighter when it comes to having people come. And... Uh, uh, one of the things that uh, we're, we're looking at is putting together a list of books. And the things that I'm really wanting people to do is have some sort of understanding of, you know, looking at issues this way in their life, getting down to what are the root issues and try to look at what are some of the lies and what are some of the strongholds. And so, you know, I may, so some of the resources I'd like to have at least had them exposed to, I'll just rattle off a whole bunch here. One would be Reclaiming Surrendered Ground. Uh, sometimes I would have uh, clients uh, read through that uh, before they would even even schedule an appointment sometimes. Um, uh, other books are The Bondage Breaker, Picture of the Darkness, those two books. Um, Beth Moore's Breaking Free Workbook, you know, our book. Um, Lies That Women Believe by Nancy, Nancy Lee DeMoss. Um, John Eldridge, Waking the Dead. John Eldridge uh, and Stacey Eldridge, Captivating. 
um, Wild at Heart. Um, I'm trying to think what else. Oh, any of the exposure to the John Regeer Biblical Counseling and Concepts materials, very helpful. Um, those are primarily the resources um, that I want our, the people that I counsel to be somewhat exposed to before we even schedule. Um, I had a, I've had a real problem with people that have come for counseling and they're not and they're kind of like starting from zero when it comes to dealing with these issues. Um, and and see, we don't charge for our counseling, uh, but it does cost our office about hundred dollars an hour to counsel somebody. Okay. And so we have a lot of people that help support us financially, and so we need to be a good steward of the money and resources and time that we have. Um, and we want to be fruitful for the kingdom of God. And so, you know, instead of charging $100 an hour and counseling someone for, you know, the rest of their life or something, um, <laughs> you know, once a week for an hour, we're wanting to try to help people find and dig down for where those root issues are and resolve those issues, as, as, you know, within a reasonable amount of time. Um, and so we try to schedule more intensive periods of time where people are going to come in like um, we're starting to change some of it, our local client scheduling. Actually, coming in January here, like I'll have somebody come in for about eight hours of counseling in one week, so like four two-hour sessions. And I've got another person coming in for 12 hours uh, from out of state uh, for four days. You know, so we're wanting to try to kind of, you know, another basically just saying, you know, we're going to get down to business here, you know, and uh, and it's kind of like, uh, you know, uh, an eight-hour or 12-hour altar call in your life, you know, for those of you that are from churches that have altar calls. Um, <laughs> and so preparation is important for that. Now, I have some clients that are longer term as well. You know, I have some DID clients um, that are local, um, that are working through, uh, you know, some of them are pretty s severe and significant, where it's going to take, you know, maybe a couple years uh, of counseling, you know, for them to kind of work through a lot of the serious stuff in their life. Um, but I only have a, but you can only have so many of those, okay? Um, and so the areas really that God probably uses me the most in is dealing with uh, uh, men's issues. I have a lot of men usually that I'm counseling, um, marriage counseling, and uh, uh, trauma. But the, with, even with the DID clients, they have to have a support system. They have to have somebody come with them for the counseling. Um, and so that's kind of the framework primarily. Now, I do counsel some teens, um, teenagers, and do some family counseling along with that. Um, uh, do some uh, young adult type counseling. Um, as far as women, I call them the abandoned women, women that have either been neglected and abused and abandoned by their fathers and then kind of steps off into their marriage where they get divorced and things like that and they're struggling with emotional problems. Um, I tend to not counsel those that group. Um, I think it's really important for another woman to come alongside and counsel those women. So I have a former intern, <laughs> that, I, that lady that has her own counseling ministry on the west side of Indianapolis and I refer a lot of those situations to her. Um, I also have an intern. We've had interns in our ministry uh, since I've been there. Um, I have one right now, a young man, who's dealing a lot with uh, uh, taking people through the steps to freedom in Christ. Um, and he's really growing in that. Um, and it's really been a blessing to see. Uh, so that's kind of, kind of the counseling load that we do. Looking at our counseling model here, um, we consider biblical counseling as part of the discipleship process 
within a person's life. And I'm going to kind of go back and forth here. I've got some back problems, and I've been in a very uncomfortable van for the last two days driving here. So, um, and some pretty bad uh, beds. <laughs> so I'm going to be kind of go bouncing back and forth here between this chair and standing. But uh, we really, we, we can't, we, I just can't separate the two. I can't separate counseling from discipleship. Um, hence comes the term discipleship counseling. And, uh, and our, the goal of the discipleship counseling is to help people get unstuck spiritually and emotionally so that they can grow and mature in their relationship with Christ and others. And uh, this growth will impact every person, area of a person's life. Uh, and so we're wanting to help people get unstuck. People ask me, you know, what do you do? I tell people, I help people get unstuck, you know. <laughs> uh, they're stuck emotionally, they're stuck spiritually, or both, and they need to get go forward in their relationship with Christ. There's three things that impact our clients' lives, and these things include, first of all, their own sin, living with the consequences of their sin, that's a difficulty, and the pain and consequences from others sinning against them. Okay, So when people come to counseling, they're suffering. That's why they're calling you. And uh, sin has made an impact in their life in some way, in some form. And, uh, and so the counseling that I'm a part of uh, is to try to help people basically deal with how sin has impacted their lives, whether it's their own sin, uh, the consequences of having to live with their sin, and some consequences can go on for quite a while, say. Um, and how to suffer well with that, and also how to find healing from those that have sinned against them. Our primary purpose throughout the counseling is that the counselee would personally grow in their relationship with God, so this can bear fruit in their life that remains. General categories of unresolved flesh patterns or strongholds that we address uh, pride and control, and uh, this is something that I, I pretty much cover first. Um, even when I train people to do the steps to freedom, or I take someone through the steps to freedom, if I use that as a tool, um, I will cover the pride uh, step first. Um, in fact, I think in here I may have included kind of my own revised pride material. Let's see what we got here. Some of this will be a little bit repetitive from course one, but uh, like on page nine. But it'll kind of what I'll basically those of you that were just at course one or have heard me teach course one now, this will kind of help you fill in some of the blocks, the spaces maybe somewhat. But on page nine, I have the resolving pride section that I will go through with my clients, and I will go through that first. Um, there are some people, praise the Lord that uh, they are so broken and so ready to receive help that I don't even have to do that, you know, uh, which is kind of neat. Uh, but that's one particular issue. Then cult and occult uh, issues is another thing. Uh, sexual immorality, uh, bitterness and rejection. And I separate those two, um, uh, but I have them kind of listed here with a slash. In between bitterness uh, and rejection, the difference there, uh, well, let me say the similarities is that usually there's some sort of sin against you that's impacted your life, um, and you've been hurt by it in some form. 
However, uh, uh, rejection, um, with a person that struggled with rejection, um, they're not wanting to have that person that hurt them pay. You know, they're not angry towards somebody uh, for the pain that, and the rejection they felt. They just feel the pain and rejection from that issue still. Whereas the person that is struggling with bitterness, um, they still have and want to demonstrate wrath towards that person. Say. Um, and so uh, I try to understand the difference between those two there. Um, and then uh, generational iniquity and sin, idolatry, um, which can include temporal values, addictions, uh, things that people are looking towards to uh, replace God, and then rebellion. Okay, And so when I'm sitting down and I'm counseling with somebody, um, I was talking with somebody on the way here, you know, I don't really have so much a set pattern of questions as much as I just try to let that person, I'm really big on kind of letting the client open up. Um, um, and that's, again, you know, it, it's not it's not like I feel like I have to pry them open. Um, but I just try to establish an environment where they feel comfortable um, and then, uh, and then just kind of begin to see what, where the, what they're re- really willing to open up with. So you can see that, you know, we're not looking for clients at our office particularly in the particular, and I, and I would encourage you to think about this as well. We're not looking for people that we have to coax them or motivate them to get on the track and start walking. Okay. We want people that are already on the track and at least wanting to start walking. Okay. And so as they begin to open up, um, then I can, you know, it's kind of like fishing. How many of you like to fish? Anybody like to fish? All right. Uh, I'm a terrible fisher. Um, but, uh, 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 one of the things about fishing is, you know, you have bait and you have a hook and, uh, you have a pole and you have some fish. Okay. Hopefully that are hungry. And, uh, and so I kind of look at counseling that way in the sense that I'm going to, you know, throw out a piece of bait there and see uh, the truth, if you will, and see if that person bites. And as long as they keep biting, I keep, I keep feeding them, you know. <laughs> but if they're going to chew on it and spit it about back out at me, <laughs> you know, and not really want to receive the truth, then there's really not a whole lot you can do, you know. And so a lot of it's going to be up to the transparency of that person, you know. I try to be transparent myself. And so I'm not, I'm not trying to be intellectual, you know, and trying to give them scriptures based on my intellectual understanding, uh, I believe it takes a heart to reach a heart. And so I'm trying to just open up my heart, sometimes be, try to create an, a trans, uh, you know, an environment where uh, there's transparency and then kind of see where that other person begins to kind of open up, you know. Um, I mean, there's different things that I'm looking at, you know, I'm evaluating their spiritual background. Um, so I want to understand, you know, where are they at in their um, receiving Christ in their life? Um, what is their identity in Christ? Um, you know, and one of the main questions uh, that I might ask would be, you know, in your mind's eye, if Jesus were looking at you, what kind of face, facial expression would he have on? Um, I asked that to someone a, a couple weeks ago, and they said, I wouldn't see his face. Okay, well, that's an answer. So then I'm going to explore that a little bit, you know. Why don't you see his face? Well, it's just hard for me to believe he's there. All right. Well, right there, that tells me <laughs> he's got a problem with his identity in Christ, doesn't it? 
And what does he have a problem with? Well, he has a problem with really believing that Jesus is there for him. Okay, well, that's a problem. You know, so then we need to work on that problem. You know, and we spent quite a bit of time the other day going through Ephesians chapter 1 and personalizing that with them and quoting that scripture and, and, and beginning to work through some of the lies that really are part of their belief system that keeps them from seeing themselves as Christ's child and he's glad to be with them. Um, other things that I want to evaluate, I want to evaluate their family background, uh, mother's side, father's side, uh, impact of divorce, is there deaths, um, you know, was it a single parent home they were raised in? What were some of these struggles? You know, why did your mom and dad get a divorce? You know, um, what are some of the generational issues, you know, that were bringing destruction in this family, you know, back a few generations? I want to try to, you know, without getting real spooky spiritual about it, you know, I just want to kind of begin to talk to them about those types of issues and, and just kind of see if there's any parallels to what's going on in their life at that point in time. I want to also look at some of their medical background. I want to know if they've been hospitalized, uh, what for, is there any diagnoses, are they on any medication, what's the medication for, um, you know, uh, do they struggle with suicidal tendencies, that's kind of good to know if you're a counselor and you're dealing with somebody that's uh, emotional. Um, you know, I had a client, oh man, I had a client come to me a couple weeks ago, and <laughs> she sees from, she's from about three hours away, and I see her like once a month for a few hours, and she's DID, and uh, I got a call from her pastor, um, but I couldn't talk to him because she didn't sign a release form for me to talk to him, and I couldn't figure out why was he calling, you know, and I, I had no problem with that, we like to really work with the local churches and the pastors, and I do that quite a bit, and it's really been helpful, and then I said, well, I tried, somebody, so my administrative assistant tried to call her and let her know, you know, hey, you need to sign a release form. And couldn't get a hold of her. So then she comes in. She says, yeah, I was hospitalized. I'm like, she says, yeah. She says, I went and parked my car on a railroad track for about 15 minutes and wanted to die. <laughs> I'm like, what? You know, I couldn't believe it, you know. And basically what it was is it was an altered personality. And then she switched out and, you know, drove away. Thank God the train didn't come by. You know what I'm saying? Um, but I said, you know, because we had talked about this the very first time. I said, you know, when you are suicidal, you need to. You know, call one of your support people, which she comes with a support person. And, uh, and so, but she didn't, what she didn't realize was that she would have an altered personality that wanted to die. See, she had a child part that wanted to die and felt like that was the answer to her problems. And so we had to deal with that at that counseling session, you know. So, you know, you just never know. Um, but so you want to kind of get a, 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 an understanding, does this person struggle with suicidal attempts and thinking, what's their plan? Try to help them give them a plan, you know, what are you going to do? Um, because when I first talked to her about it, she's like, oh, I, I struggled with suicide before, but, you know, all of a sudden, boom, she's struggling with it again. You know? um, so it's important to, to understand that. Um, and then I'm going to, uh, as I'm, as I'm, as they're opening up and kind of sharing what their problem is, I'm trying to evaluate what is their level of interest to get help, you know? And uh, where is their repentance level at? Um, you know, and I, in my, I'm a kind of a, a one to ten type scale person, you know, um, and so I'm always kind of, I'm kind of looking at that, you know, on a scale of one to ten, you know, how bad do they want help? Ten being really super bad, they're willing to do whatever it takes, you know, Second Corinthians seven type repentance, uh, Psalms fifty one repentance. Or are they about a one or a two? You know, they're just kind of there, but. 
know, they don't really want to deal with things. And, uh, um, you know, so we're looking at people and evaluating that as we're counseling them. Um, for some people, I usually have more problems with my local clients as opposed to my out-of-state clients because if they're going to travel and spend all that money, you know, to come, you know, they tend to be pretty serious. Um, I, you're going to run into it more with people that are in your immediate surroundings that can take it kind of for granted sometimes. Um, and so, uh, so, but you're really wanting to, to kind of gauge that interest. One of the things I will do, if I don't really sense a real strong commitment to the process, I'll give them homework. And then I'll tell them, you know, give me a call back for another appointment when you get your homework done. Okay. Um, and because no one can repent for anyone else but themselves. No one can choose to believe and have faith for themselves but themselves. You know, no, I don't, and I'm, you know, I mean, there's times where I have to take authority over demonic spirits and things like that in people's lives. Um, but that's not my modus operandi. It's more of an exception than the rule. Um, and I believe that people need to understand their own position in Christ and begin to resist the enemy. In fact, I was talking to somebody uh, Friday about that very fact, about his very need, you know, to begin to um, submit to God and resist the enemy in his life. You know, his wife can't do it. His wife has talked to him about it. You know, I've talked to him about it. And it's like, he's got to do it, you know. In fact, I even gave him a written prayer. I said, just put it in your pocket, pull it out, you know. Uh, but he can only do that. He's the one that has to do that. And it's really important to understand what is your responsibility as a counselor, what is your client's responsibility. Very, very important. Um, I mean, all of us in this room have a heart for hurting people. That's why we're all here today, right? Um, and some of you probably have some real strong mercy giftings, you know, um, and, uh, and, but you have to understand, you know, that, that the Holy Spirit and that person's relationship with, their own personal relationship with God is the most important thing. And God is far more concerned about in the process. That's why it's hard for me to separate discipleship from counseling. See? Because it's, God is far more, in, in the thing that matters most to God is that person growing in their intimacy with Christ. See? And if that means they have to suffer a little longer, if that means that they have to, uh, you know, uh, in a sense, I don't mean, you know, be, refer you know, be held off, you know, from uh, in some way uh, where they may have to wait longer or whatever to get help uh, from you. If it means that it's going to, their dependency from Christ is going to grow, that's, that's a good thing, you know. But it does take a lot of wisdom, it does take a lot of prayer, uh, discernment, um, you know, to know how to make those decisions. When people ask me, you know, what can we pray for you about, you know, Brother Jeff, uh, in your ministry, what can you pray for? Number one thing I tell them is wisdom, you know, and how to deal with those people I should counsel and who I shouldn't, you know, uh, because those are real critical decisions uh, that I have to make on a daily basis. And, uh, uh, in fact, just had a call from my administrative assistant on somebody, you know, who just canceled out that was coming here in December and what should I do and, um, you know, about that person and how should we schedule it and so forth. So those things are really important. Um, so you really want to take the time to work through those. And dealing with people that are coming from uh, uh, a lot of woundedness in their life, there's different categories of broken heartedness we address. A lot of this is from the life model, Living from the Heart Jesus Gave You, which is a book that I have everyone that comes from an abusive background read that I counsel. 
Um, yeah, it's the life model, living from the heart Jesus gave you. It's put out by Shepherd's House, and Jim Wilder was one of the contributors to that book. James Friesen was another, you may have heard of him. Yeah, living the life the life model living from the heart Jesus gave you. It's just a little a little green book. Yeah. Yeah, there it is right there. Show everybody. Yeah. So I'll I'll have anyone that, that I counsel that comes from a trauma background, um, I'll have them read that book as part of part of the uh, counseling. I don't know. Yes yeah. it is. Yes. Type A traumas, the absence of necessary good things. I'm going to evaluate that in my clients' lives. Um, uh, we all have A traumas in some form. I'm going to evaluate that. Is it a, is it a mother wound? Is it a father wound? Uh, what's, what's going on with that? Type B traumas are the bad things or abusive things that happen to them. I want to evaluate that. I'm going to evaluate that over time because sometimes people don't always remember <laughs> uh, the abuse. Um, so sometimes you have to kind of evaluate that over time. Um, but the things that I'm looking for that is who the perpetrator was, because if it was a family member that they lived with, chances are they're going to be pretty dissociative. It means they're going to be they're going to have a lot of that stuff blocked out. Um, it's kind of the further out that person is, the more memory a person will have. So you know, if it's a if it's a one time situation when they were eight years old and it was the babysitter, chances are that the person will remember something like that. Where if it started with their father when they were three years old and went on for ten years, chances are they can be highly dissociative and have blocked a lot of those memories out. So I want to evaluate uh, the type B traumas. Damaged emotions, uh, resolving negative emotions, returning to joy from anger, shame, fear, disgust, sadness, hopeless despair. I'm trying to help them understand uh, uh, the impact of emotions in their life. You know, how to work through those uh, damaged thinking, false belief systems about God and their identity in Christ, and then maturity issues. So that's kind of my counseling model. As long as oh yeah, a couple more. I'm sorry, uh, turning fear bonds into love bonds in relationship with God and with others. One of the things that I do that the life model does not do for those of you that read it is I try to put I put more of an emphasis on working through the bonding issues in the relationship with God um, first, as opposed to people. People are important, um, but you have to have, there's a delicate balance there, I believe, that's important. Um, and so I want to try to help people understand what are some of those fear bonding and love bonding relationships, not only just with other people, but with God. Um, John Eldridge does a little bit better job in his writings uh, than Jim Wilder does in this area. Just that's kind of my opinion. Um, anybody get John Eldridge's new book at all? Wild well, well, Wild Heart. Basically, what he's done there. I was looking at it on the way in. Basically, what he's done there is he's taken. He's counsels men primarily, and basically what he's done, he's kind of taken some of um, a lot of what the has come out in the life model and the maturity and some of these different things that impact a man. Um, and specifically more of the A-trauma type stuff. Um, it looks like a really, really good book. Um, and uh, it's, 
it's pretty extensive work, I think. I think it's I think it that looks like another new new good new new tool um, that could be of help. And then understanding how to live out of their new heart in Christ. Most Christians today, unfortunately, live according to their flesh. And uh, they, they have a very difficult time of what it means to live out of the new person in Christ. And, uh, and so I'm trying to help people, uh, teach people, what does that look like? Um, my wife and I, my wife's name is Suzette. And uh, uh, we both, um, well, let me say this. Anything that I have worth saying here uh, today or tomorrow, um, the, only, the only reason why I have a message to share um, is because of the suffering that my wife and I have gone through both individually and together. And uh, it's not because I got it right, okay? Um, it's only because, at a, you know, at a young age, uh, I didn't, I never had a father, and God has brought some healing into my life as I've gone through that healing process, and uh, and my wife comes from a home where there's both A and B trauma, and so uh, and God's brought some great healing into our marriage um, about 12 years ago, and so a lot of what I share uh, with you is really out of what God has already brought through me and, and my wife. Okay. The only difference is that I'm only 46, okay, and I've probably experienced and been through things that people may be 66, <laughs> you know, before they go through all these things, um, and uh, and I'm kind of a tough learner, so I usually have to learn through suffering, you know, um, and so, you know, it's not because I learned it in school, you know, uh, and it's not because I, uh, you know, am ordained, and it's not because I learned it in a book, you know. Uh, basically, it's because, I mean, I had a lot of good resources and stuff, but basically I had to go through it myself and work through some things, okay? Uh, so I just want to make sure that you understand that. So as my wife and I sat down, I thought, you know, what are some of the things that we have seen in our own lives and then in all these people? I mean, I have counseled hundreds of people now in almost nine years of ICBC. I worked for Teen Challenge for 12 and a half years. Um, I was a youth pastor for two years. I mean, I'm pushing like 20, 23 years of ministry now in my life. You know, and my wife's been there right beside me most of the time, and you know, and we've gone through a lot of healing ourselves individually. And I've helped a lot of people come to help and freedom in Christ and healing. And um, you know, what have been what have been some of the key things that we have seen in that process? And uh, and so we just began to write them down. Okay. And so this is this is them. This is uh, this is something that we put together. What are some of the key factors in people finding freedom and healing? And I could and I can say uh, we just had our banquet um, a couple weeks ago, and uh, we had three testimonies at the banquet. They were just awesome, and uh, how God's brought healing uh, to all three of these people. And uh, one couple is now starting a ministry to other couples in their church that I helped, um, and they've gone on now. They've become leaders in their local church, and they've started their own ministry to help couples. Um, there's another man who struggled with a father wound, had struggled with anger and having a relationship with his daughter and wife because of it, and he found a lot of healing. And now, and he, just, he had just gotten hired to be a community uh, service minister at a very large black church in town. Uh, 
he just got hired to do that. Uh, now he's going off and going to really make an impact on the community. Um, and then the third person, uh, two years ago, uh, she was depressed, wanting to kill herself, could hardly get out of bed in the morning. And uh, she's gone through a lot of healing now. And this past fall, she started uh, to finish her degree at Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. <laughs> uh, in fact, when I called her, she, she called to uh, reschedule an appointment, her and her husband, John, and, and uh, they were going to share at our banquet. And so I, was, I called her back, and, and she says, guess where I am? I says, where? She says, I'm getting on the, the subway train in downtown Chicago. And she says, I'm not even afraid. <laughs> And I just got done with class at Moody. And, uh, you know, that's, come, that's a long ways, okay, <laughs> from two years ago, not even be able to leave your room <laughs> uh, and wanting to kill yourself, okay, to be on a subway train in the inner city of Chicago leaving Moody Bible Institute. Um, and, uh, and so how God, they both, her husband and him, her shared uh, their testimony at our banquet. And with all three of those situations and others, you know, like it, um, that I've been blessed to be a part of. Um, these are the common things, okay? They're doing the majority or have done the majority of these things, okay? There's no shortcuts, okay, when it comes to long-term freedom and healing. There really isn't. You can go through the steps of freedom like I did, and I found, I found a great deal of freedom just by going through the steps of freedom. It's keeping it is the hard part, you know? And, uh, and not only that, but there was another level of healing that God wanted to bring me through. Okay. And uh, so it, does, it is very much a process. First of all, they surrender themselves to God with humility and courage. Okay. Humility and courage. Psalms 139, search me, O God, know my heart, try me, know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. And this is where that whole submission to God, uh, dealing with pride, uh, people will humble themselves. But it also takes courage, too. See? It also takes courage. Um, because you're going to have to confront some issues in your life that you feel uncomfortable about. See? Um, second thing, they understand they're a child of God and they belong to the Heavenly Father. So they begin to work through the whole concept of identity in Christ. And their whole identity is changed from, you know, as I counseled a 56-year-old man the other day who's going through halftime evaluation and, and is depressed. Uh, this man grew up in the church, very successful businessman, uh, elder in a church, leader, um, but basically he feels empty at age 56 because he says, he, he told me, it's pretty, pretty insightful, he says, I climbed the wrong corporate ladder. You know, I built my whole identity around being a successful businessman. And, uh, and uh, he didn't have any understanding of his identity in Christ. See? Um, and so just helping him to begin to understand that process uh, is going to be, uh, he's very open, and uh, he's going to get some help. And, uh, but understanding that you know, your, your foundation of your existence is that you're a child of God. That's who you are, first and foremost that you belong to your Heavenly Father. Um, Romans 8, 16, the Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Number three, they separate themselves from any influence or influences, period, uh, plural, that will hinder their healing. There has to be a separation 
from the things that hinder someone. Whatever those might be. It can be people. could be places. could be things. <laughs> um, fortunately, it could be other believers. Um, I don't know what it could be. Um, but there has to many times be a separation from things that can hinder that person's healing. They read the Bible. A lot of people that I counsel do not have a regular time of Bible reading. Prayer, meditation, and personalizing the scriptures and a journal as a part of a developing an intimate relationship with God. Um, my clients that do better are the ones that are journaling. And they're journaling to God. And we're able to process through um, what they're struggling with. Um, you know, the best counseling gets done when somebody's coming to your office and they're upset. Okay, because now instead of, because we tend, when it comes to going to God or when it comes going to other people, we tend to feel like we have to get our act together before we arrive. You ever notice that? Okay. And uh, that's a, that can be, that can be counterproductive to getting help. Because then you got to kind of uh, get through all this facade of everything's being okay. All right. So I love it, especially if I do marriage counseling and people are there for the week. And, uh, uh, you know, after the counseling session, they go back to their hotel room or they go out to eat or whatever and they have an argument. And then uh, that argument carries over into the next morning. And I'm pretty happy because now I know we're going to really get some serious counseling done, see. Um, as opposed to coming in like, hey, we get along great, you know. Uh, uh, their buttons have been pushed, and okay, now now we're really going to get down to business here, okay? And uh, and so that's really uh, kind of an interesting dynamic. Um, but when people journal, see, especially when they're in difficulty outside of the counseling, when they journal and they're writing through their their struggles, see, you bring that in, you have them bring that in with them, and then they start reading it, and and then sometimes that can be a struggle for people. Because especially those that don't want to feel the pain, they'll, they'll give it to me and say, you read it. And I'll say, no, I want you to read it. Because once they read it, see, they're going to start re-experiencing all those intense emotions and feelings. See, And so now we can get down to business, you know, and kind of work through what's there. Does that make sense to you? So my clients that do that, those are the ones that pro progress far faster uh, than people that always want to kind of deny it or push it back or say that it's okay when it's not, which is what denial is. Um, they're willing to hear God speak to them, um, which means, and uh, another way to put it, is they're not wanting to lean on their own understanding. See, they're wanting to acknowledge Him. Um, and uh, they're not trying to figure it out all themselves, which is very much a part of our flesh, is to try to figure it out. Okay, um, and so people uh, have to kind of realize, you know what, I need to hear from God. And the people that are getting helped are hearing from God. And not only are they hearing from God, um, but they're finding that wisdom and revelation, which is the next point, through his word and through the Holy Spirit. See? Um, and that's very important. Uh, so you can see, you know, we can have a counseling environment, you know, but really, it's very much discipleship, isn't it? And, uh, and so that's the environment. I'm very relational when I counsel. Um, and so, uh, you know, I'm not trying to come across with all this intellectual understanding of problems. And even though I can do some of that, 
that's not how I want to address and build relationship with my clients. Um, I'm wanting to understand, you know, their heart. Um, and part of that is also uh, understanding what is Christ doing in their heart and life and hearing from them and so forth. They take responsibility also for the works of their flesh and repent of their sin. That's what a large part of the Steps to Freedom in Christ as a tool would be in your, in your ministry. Is a, it's a tool where they can take responsibility. They can do an inventory. Um, they can do a cleansing process in their life. And so they're going to take responsibility for those things. Uh, again, like I said earlier, no one can repent for someone but themselves, and no one can have faith for themselves but themselves. Page five there. They're willing to open up their past wounds and allow God's healing. Now, everyone goes at a different pace. Okay? Um, if I have a, a big wound on a scale of 1 to 10, it's an 11. Um, it might take some time to work through that wound. Okay? Because I can only handle a certain amount of pain, and I work through a little bit of it, and then I have to work through a little bit more, and a little bit more, and a little bit more. Okay? Um, so, what I'm looking for, though, is a person's willingness to do that. Okay, um, you know I have I have a a, a couple right now. Unfortunately, uh, it's a pastor's wife and a pastor, and uh, she's committed adultery like three times in like over fifteen years of marriage, and it's usually a one one night or one night stand type thing or impulsive. She's impulsive. She's got some borderline personality traits, but she was sexually abused. Very obvious to me, um, and uh, but she's uh, dissociated and repressed a lot of the memories there, and uh, and I think she's acting out on some of that, and uh, you know, uh, so there's, you know, so we, uh, you know, I, in fact, I told the husband, <laughs> I said, you know, this is the third time we went over this material, right? <laughs> the same thing. I says, I think she doesn't really want to deal with this. You know, uh, I hate to say that. Um, and she says, well, he bet she better, you know. Um, but you can't really force people to deal with these things, you know, unless they're ready. But they have to be willing to do that. You know, there has to be a willingness on their part. Um, I have an accountability partner. And uh, I was just reviewing my accountability questions here. Um, we meet about once every three weeks at Starbucks. And uh, we have, uh, we take turns putting together our own questions. And uh, we have a passage that we usually memorize and meditate. And uh, for November 18th, it's 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. And then we'll put together questions. And this was his turn to do it. And then we'll email them to one another. And uh, uh, one of the questions I was reading this morning, and then we have prayer requests too at the bottom. But what should a spouse do when they see their mate doing something that is wrong? but they are unable to win them over with their petition to stop the behavior. Okay, So that would be a question. I'll write down my, my answer to that. He'll write down his answer to that, and we'll kind of talk about it you know, in our meeting. And uh, it's really just been a great way to do, uh, have an accountability partner, just come up with your own verses and questions. It is just, it, it's so fresh that way. We've been meeting for four years now, and uh, it's just such a, uh, an awesome time. And... Uh, and so I, I saw that question here. I was like, hmm, I kind of was going to relate to this class somewhat. Um, but uh, what, I, what I try to do with, when it comes to that situation where you're wanting to see someone change 
um, or deal with a particular issue, uh, but they're unwilling to, is that you have to wait till they get upset. You know, um, and what I mean by that is that we tend to not want to change our belief system about something until we get so upset that we want to look into it deeper. All right? If everything's going hunky-dory, okay, you know, we tend to not want to change anything. All right? Um, but that's why suffering and trials and temptation and things like that can be really good for us because it causes us to look deeper. And so what I do with people um, uh, uh, when I'm counseling with them, and, and they do kind of run into a roadblock maybe, and they're struggling somewhat with, uh, um, you know, wanting to address a particular issue, I'll wait till they're upset and then I'll try to help them see the cause and effect relationship of them being upset. See, What I mean by that is, what happened to cause the thing that caused them to be upset? Because that's usually the thing they have to look at to address. See, see, there's good pressure and bad pressure when it comes to trying to put pressure on somebody to help. You know, sometimes you can go to one extreme where you don't say anything, okay? And sometimes you come on too strong. Okay, you know you really need to deal with this. You know, <laughs> that don't work either. Uh, good pressure is when is when the person because most people, first of all, do not see cause and effect relationships in their life. Most we are just we are not trained in our culture or in our educational systems to view problems that way. Only typically in the med medical fields you are. You're trained to look at it that way, uh, very much in the medical field. And when I counsel doctors, uh, that's <laughs> they see those types of things right away because that's how they, they're solving problems like me. They're trying to get down to the root primarily. And so helping people to see the cause and effect relationship when they're upset uh, is one way that you can kind of help people come to that place of dealing with, their, allowing that process of healing and change to take place in their life, okay? And... Uh, that's that's can be helpful. Um, they take uh, well. Oh, I'm sorry. They understand that healing is a process directed by God. Uh, Jeremiah seventeen fourteen. Heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved. For Thou art my praise. Um, it's very important to to see that God is the one directing this process. Um, you know, it's not the counselor. Um, it's it's the Lord. They take responsibility for their own maturity. A lot of people struggle with issues of maturity. Um, they're willing to see that, see how it impacts their life. Again, it's a cause and effect relationship. Um, a lot of times when I'm counseling, most people are either in child or infant level type maturity. Um, if I get a marriage counseling situation where they're both at infant level maturity, the marriage will tend to be highly volatile because they're always going to want to blame each other, you know. It's kind of like when my kids were three and five, you know, and there'd be some sort of upset in their relationship, you know, over what they were playing, and they never want to take responsibility for themselves. They always want to put the blame on the other person, okay. And that's what happens in marriage counseling when you get people that are stuck in that type of infant maturity. In fact, most marriages that are in, where both spouses are in infant or childhood maturity they tend; those are the ten; those are the ones that end up in divorce primarily. 
because um, they, an adult maturity will take responsibility, will take an, a, into account how their actions can impact others. Okay. Um, if you have two people that are at adult maturity, you're going to have a pretty good marriage because they're going to do that. They're going to take into account and respons be responsible for how they're impacting their spouse. See, But if you're in a marriage where your spouse doesn't want to take responsibility for their actions and how they impact you, chances are your spouse is at child or infant level maturity. Okay, And so helping people understand where they're at in their maturity uh, and help them take responsibility is a very, very important thing. They apply the armor of God in their spiritual battle against Satan. Another important part to learn how to do spiritual warfare, which is a lot of what you guys have already learned here. Um, and then they are involved, in a, and I don't believe that you can have lasting freedom and healing without it. <laughs> okay? It's a very important part of, of the process. Uh, they're involved in a community of life-giving believers. Notice I put life-giving in there. Not all believers are life-giving. See? Um, uh, unfortunately, that's the case. Uh, those of you with the uh, IBLP background, you know, Bill Gothard uses the term energy givers and energy takers. <laughs> All right? So this is that same basic concept here. And then they understand how to live out of their new heart in Christ. Okay? Let's uh, cover this initial steps to helping someone find freedom in Christ. And then... Uh, We'll do some question and answer and then take a break. Initial steps to helping someone find freedom in Christ. First thing I'm going to do in this process is help evaluate the person's willingness to receive help. Proverbs 9.8 says, Reprove not a scorner, lest he hate thee. Rebuke a wise man, and he will love thee. And that's what I have found in counseling. People either love me or hate me. Um, I try not to spend too much time with the people that hate me. Intend they, in fact, those people tend to not want to call me back, call back anyway and come. So. Um, but I want to spend most of my time with people that love me. In fact, I had, a client, <laughs> I had a client call me to reschedule, and this lady, and, and she's, she's kind of being sarcastic. Uh, and, but she... She says, well, I know I'm going to have to wait a month to see you because I know that so many people love you, you know. I was like, now, is that a scorner or is that? <laughs> but um, the person must be open to receive from the Lord, first of all. They must all be willing to receive the truth, and then they must be willing to act upon the truth they receive. So I'm going to evaluate that person's willingness to receive help on those factors. Except people just the way they are. Uh, people do not care about what you know until they know you care. Um, the thing that you have to look out here for is the nonverbals, body language. Okay? Um, you know, so facial expressions, you know. Um, another thing that's important 
is making sure that you understand, uh, really understand the person's problem. You know, what is really going on there? Um, I was reading this morning um, in Proverbs 13, it says, Good understanding gains favor. Good understanding gains favor. People love it when they're understood. Okay? Now, teenagers, that's usually their number one complaint. They don't feel understood, but I'll tell you what, it's adults' a number one complaint, too. Um, see, trust is far more than just something um, based on actions. A lot of times, you know, when I think of, you know, uh, my kids cutting our grass pattern, you know, of my name or, you know, in the grass or something like that. But I know that I can trust them. They can start the lawnmower. They can put gas in it. Um, you know, they can, they can cut the grass, make sure they do a really good job. I can trust them to do that every week, okay? Um, and uh, that is because I see that as my responsibility. Um, uh, they like to cut the grass because that means they have more time for Dad when he's home. Um, but since it's my responsibility, I do pay them for cutting the grass, okay? Um, sometimes they can't trust me to pay them on time, but <laughs> but um, they do eventually get their money. And, uh, and a lot of times when we think of trust, that's kind of what we think. We think of what people can do for us, okay? But trust is really a heart issue more than anything. Um, and I trust somebody when I can share with them what is going on in my heart. What are the burdens upon my heart? And, and that person, when I, when I do that, when I share that, I'm looking for understanding from that other person. So if I'm feeling condemned, or if I'm feeling misunderstood, or even criticized, what, I'm gonna, what am I going to want to do with what I just shared? Exactly. I like that. I'm going to take it back. I'm going to protect it. See? And I'm not going to trust. I'm not going to trust you with my heart. See? And, and that is really the key to effective counseling, more than anything. Um, I mean, that's the beginning of it, anyway. Is being willing to have that person begin to really trust you with their heart and what's really going on there, you know. And then when they get to the point where they say, you know, I've never shared this with anyone before, <laughs> that's when you really know that you're getting somewhere. See? And uh, so that's important. And so that understanding is really, really important. And so if you come across and say, well, you know, the Bible says, and then, you know, you really should do this, you really should do that, um, you know, and you're kind of looking at them with the frown scowl on your face, you know. And I've heard, I mean, I've heard a lot of bad stuff. You know, between Teen Challenge and counseling at ICBC for almost nine years now, I've heard a lot of bad stuff. I mean, a lot of bad stuff, you know. And uh, so I've attained a, at least a, um, somewhat of an experience in hearing about as bad as it can get, you know. I mean, from fathers confessing to having sex with animals, you know, to, uh, you know, uh, and I'll get a little graphic here just so you get a, get a picture, uh, to a father sticking his penis in his two-year-old's mouth, uh, you know, uh, to, you know, you, some really, all the sick stuff that you see on the news, you know, uh, comes across in churches, folks. 
See? This stuff's happening in churches with Christians and people and, you know, uh, yeah, but, uh, physical abuse. Uh, yeah, what do I do for dis discipline my children? Well, I take a razor blade and I cut them. Oh, really? <laughs> you know, and I need to stop this behavior. What do I do? I mean, it can get pretty graphic, you know. And so to to be able to not allow yourself to get caught up emotionally, you know, I mean, you know what I want to do with a father that does that to his son, the two years old, <laughs> you know. But those people, when you really get down to do, dealing with serious issues, that's what you're going to get, you know. And those people, tip, you know, it gets really messy. This is why, in fact, I'm going to start preaching here. I guess I should save this for tomorrow, but... But the, a large problem with the problem with the reason why this stuff is just continuing on and on and on, you know, and is because the churches don't want to deal with messy stuff. That's why most of you are here, I would imagine, is because they can't go to their, they typically can't go to your pastor, or you, can, you know, or no one can trust anyone in the church, you know, and and to open up all about this really really bad stuff. Are you kidding me? You know, and. Uh, and so, you know, it, it can be really nasty. But that's what you were dealing with, folks. Um, the last statistics that I saw uh, out of a sexual abuse book, uh, Christian sexual abuse, the last statistics I saw, um, it used to be uh, four out of every ten women were sexually abused by the time they were 18. Um, now it's uh, five out, it's 50% now. Uh, it used to be like one out of ten men and now it's like three out of ten men, you know. The statistics, and those are just the ones that are telling the truth and reporting. Okay, um, that's how those statistics are based. Um, and my guess is it's worse. My guess, based on that alone, I believe those those statistics are probably a lot worse. Um, and so you know we're looking at a, a and and, this, and you talk about the church, it don't make it don't make no difference. In fact, the more the more fundamental the church, the worse it can get. You know? Well, just, you know, the more rigid or strict or um, church, it, the worse it, you know, it doesn't make any difference, okay, is my point. And so, you know, we're looking, uh, you know, it's a pretty serious problems, you know, um, and I, I, mean, I get a good, I get a good dose of reality um, in my office of what's really going on. You know, uh, pretty much done a case study on the uh, the good, and bad of homeschooling in the last nine years because I counsel a lot of homeschool families, <laughs> and uh, I get a lot of men, get a lot of people that are dealing with abuse issues, so a lot of different denominations. Uh, you name the denomination, you know, we our counseling center is involved with them in some way. Um, so I see the full spectrum. In our office, because we're non-denominational, and so in a sense, we do accept people the way they are. You know what I'm saying? There's nothing, there's nothing really that a, where a person's background or denomination or issue that we're going to necessarily we're we're not going to turn anybody away if they're willing to receive help. Okay, um, that's the important thing. And so I, we see all sorts of stuff. Okay. Um, have a ministry of grace. Um, 
Do not try to make people right by emphasizing a better performance for God. Rather, help them to understand God's love, mercy, and enabling grace. So it cannot be uh, follow these five steps, you know, and do better for God if you do this, this, and this. Um, they have to learn uh, to submit themselves to God and understand God's love, mercy, and enabling grace. Encourage emotional honesty. People are generally willing to share what happened to them in general, but are less willing to share their failures in the event and how they felt about it. Ask wise questions to draw out their heart and emotional honesty. Um, and how I do that would be trying to, sometimes people will be real general, and so I'm going to ask questions that will get more specific. You know, so how did you feel, you know, when blah, 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 you know. And so when I ask a person, what did you think about, blank, 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 that means that I'm going to kind of get an intellectual answer. And if I ask them how they feel about it, I'm going to tend to get an emotional answer. If I'm going to ask them, well, how do you think God sees that, I'm going to get a more of a conscience uh, answer, you know. Um, if I'm going to ask them, what do you want to do about it, I'm going to kind of get where their will and what, what, what is it the choice, what's the bottom line choice they really want to do, okay? And so I'm trying to ask questions, trying to evaluate those types of things uh, to get them to open up more. Help them to identify root issues. What are the root causes that are hindering their Christian growth? Uh, share the truth. Speaking the truth in love may grow up in him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Help them to understand their identity in Christ. Help expose Satan's lies of accusation, deceptions, temptations, lies regarding who God is to them and their identity in Christ. So always using the word of God. Source of truth. Um, somebody had asked me the other day, I was teaching, and they asked me, have you ever seen any, when was the last time you saw a demon manifest in your office? And I said, well, actually it was through a lady, Christian lady. And uh, and uh, they were expecting her to be writhing on the floor or something, you know, and spitting out foam. Um, but basically what it was is uh, it was a marriage counseling situation. And I had counseled with the husband, and he had really worked through a lot of stuff in his life. But the wife refused to forgive him for a bunch of past hurts. And so I began to shine the, the light of attention on her, and she didn't like that at all. Okay. Um, you know, now it's time for her to take some responsibility, okay? And uh, so I started asking, so I asked her, I said, do you feel like you've forgiven your husband for how he's hurt you? And she immediately said no. And I said, well, I said, uh, you know, it's really going to be hard for, your, for you guys to go forward in your marriage unless you forgive your husband. And, uh, and uh, she says, well, I just can't trust him. I said, well... I said, forgiveness and trust are two different things. And then I began to share with her the scriptures of Matthew 18, the parable of the unmerciful servant, and how Jesus is, uh, uh, basically commanded us to forgive from our hearts and talked to her a little bit about what that meant and about the difference between trust and forgiveness. And she got very upset with me. She said, how dare you? confront me over this issue in front of my husband. How dare you? You are the worst counselor. 
you know, I can't believe you did this. And she got very upset with me. She says, I want to talk to you alone. And so I, I said, well, I says, I would rather not do that. I'd rather just talk to you with your husband here. And she says, well, I'm not going to go any further unless we talk alone. I need to have to talk to you alone. You just do not understand. You don't understand how much he's hurt me. So the husband's like, well, I'll step out for a little bit. I says, okay, that's fine. So as soon as he steps out, she says, you don't understand. How dare you do that to me? He's just going to use all this against me, blah, blah, blah. And then she stands up and she's staring. She's, I'm sitting at the, she's like right on my desk. Just, I mean, she could kill me with her look. And all of a sudden, she just like snapped out of it and sat back down as I'm praying. I'm sitting there praying. I'm not saying, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus, and I'm not pointing my finger at her. But I'm just basically sharing with her calmly, saying, ma'am, I'm just reading what the Scripture says. You don't have a problem with me. You have a problem with the truth of God's Word. And, I, and in my spirit, I'm praying in the name and through the blood of Lord Jesus Christ, Satan, I command you to go. you know, Because I knew that Satan had basically taken her over. And... Uh, and then eventually, you know, she kind of sat down. She's just completely dazed. And, uh, and uh, I said, uh, you know, are you willing to forgive your husband? And then she said, no. <laughs> and, she, and that spirit came right back on her again. I said, ma'am, I said, I'm going to get your husband. So I went and got, your, got the husband. He came in, sit down, uh, began to share with him uh, what basically, you know, that, you know, that we're dealing with this forgiveness issue. Um, she gets up and takes off. She did not want to hear any more about forgiveness. And she walked away from our counseling center and never came back. Okay. Now, I see that as a demonic takeover in a person. Okay. And, uh, and he was pretty distraught. Um, one, one, one more point, then we'll do question and answer. The last point here is uh, to call for a response. And that's kind of what I was doing with that lady. See, I was calling a response for her to deal with her bitterness. And obviously she wasn't wanting to respond. We need to be doers of the word, not just hearers only. Christian counseling is uh, dependent on a faith response to the truth and repentance of the counselee. Um, and so that's really, we're trying to resolve issues. And so you have to call for a response, whether that be a, a prayer of repentance, a prayer of healing, um, renunciation, uh, whatever. Okay? All right, we can do the question now. And I would just want to, you know, if I've offended anybody by my graphic nature here, I promise I won't do it again. Um, but I just wanted to kind of let you know, you know, that's reality and the level of issues we're dealing with sometimes. Yeah. 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 Yes. Yes, I did. That was. Yeah, that was part of the parable of the unmerciful servant. You know, I was comparing the big debt that Jesus has forgiven us. Yes, I went through that. Yeah. Yes. Yes. She just was uh, filled with pride and and. Uh, yeah, a big problem, a, a big problem that people have when it comes to forgiveness, and I tried to address this with her, is they equate trust, if I, you know, in forgiveness uh, together, and 
actually you have to forgive from the heart before you can even build trust again. See, for true heart forgiveness brings about the framework to begin to trust again. If you wait to trust somebody before you forgive them, you will never forgive them. It will not happen. And, uh, and so I tried to explain that all to her. You know, because that's really what she was, you know, she just, she just didn't want to be hurt again. And I acknowledged her pain. I mean, I acknowledged, you know, the reason why she's feeling like she needs to trust is because she doesn't want to be hurt again. You know? Um, but I felt pretty confident that the husband was, I mean, I'd worked with him for quite a while. And, you know, he realized how he hurt her. And, and he was willing to acknowledge that, you know. And, um... But I knew, I knew at that point in time, and this is this is really critical, uh, this whole forgiveness issue, because if a spouse um, does not forgive, this old Christian leader, he was retired, he's like 79, 80 years old, taught my pastoral theology class <laughs> um, when I was in Bible college, and he talked about the pastor in his marriage and talked about the importance of forgiveness. And... Uh, Boy, I just have seen that true now over the years in ministry. Because um, once a spouse doesn't forgive and has bitterness towards the other spouse, that, you know, you're setting up a framework for a divorce, really. Because to me, you have to have constant forgiveness in a marriage. Any ongoing relationship, you have to have that. And, uh, and so, you know, I really, I knew that if she didn't forgive him, they were headed for divorce. No question about it. And I would be surprised if that's where they're at today. Yes, sir. How can Satan possess a Christian? I don't believe that Satan can possess a Christian. Um, I do believe that uh, Christians can be influenced by demons, though. I believe there's spirits for a Christian. There's spirits of influence. So it was that it was those spirits that were influencing that lady, and can influence any of us if we give him ground. Um, how can that influence us? Well, it can influence us in our thoughts. Um, which can impact our emotions, um, which I see the influence far greater in the thought life. Um, and I think one of the things that I had to learn when it came to spiritual warfare, first of all, is that not all my thoughts are my thoughts. You know, some are my thoughts. Uh, sometimes God reveals and puts thoughts in my head, but I believe that Satan can too. Now, I can't read, I don't believe he's omniscient, I don't believe he can read my mind. But I do believe that he can try to put thoughts in my mind. And, and those thoughts can impact my emotions. And, uh, and one of the things that um, the flesh is capable of is murder. <laughs> and uh, and that, in that situation there, uh, you know, um, the spirits of influence, had inf because of that sin of bitterness, gave ground to Satan. Um, all those different uh, works of the flesh, hatred and malice and you know, bitterness and murder and all those things were operating in that lady's life towards me and her husband. 
I can tell you that. We were like the enemy, you know. So, um, so that's they were more spirits of influence. I don't believe a Christian can be possessed. Possession means ownership, and uh, but I do believe that Christians can be. In I use the term influence. In fact, I don't even like the term control. I mean, it would appear, uh, you know, for instance, in that situation, that that lady was controlled. But I don't believe that. I I don't like that at all because I believe that she, God gave her the opportunity in hearing the word of God, the opportunity and the choice to repent. And uh, she made that she made the choice not to. And once she made the choice not to deal with the basis of truth and repent, then that's when the whole situation. You know, blew up. Right. It was a deception. Yeah, yeah. But that influence uh, impacted her behavior. See. Confession yeah. Of and, and asking yeah. For yeah. Would that be a useful yeah. thing? Yeah. And then the other thing is, like, it can be realizing you're me as well because you're yeah. You have done both. The question is, what do you do at the impasse? Uh, do you um, have the husband acknowledge, uh, you know, his wanting to make things right or seek his own, you know, seek forgiveness again? Yes, I do do that. Um, and in fact, I, I, I try to get the spouse to ask the the unforgiving spouse to ask the spouse that question. In fact, I'll do it to the point where I'll even, if they're willing, to have them hold hands, look each other in the eye, you know, and ask them, you know, um, for forgiveness again. Um, and I know that uh, in that situation, I, I, I didn't, I couldn't go to that length because I knew she would never hold his hand. <laughs> but I asked her, I, you know, but I, in fact, I even asked her, would you be willing to ask him if he, Truly is sorry and 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 and, for, and wants to seek your forgiveness. You know, actually, he did it verbally already. He wrote it down and he did it verbally. He did it two times. And uh, she says, "No, I don't believe him. I won't believe him." See. Um, and so then I said, you know, so then I mentioned, you know, that, uh, and I do mention. I don't think I mentioned it this time, but I have mentioned, you know, that you know, this is. A, the next step is, you know, if you don't forgive, you guys are going to head for it, of course. Unfortunately, you know, um, some people will say, well, fine. <laughs> yeah. um, but again, I'm, I'm getting to the point now where, you know, I, I really wonder, you know, uh, you know, sometimes we might give people too much, you know. I think, I, I think that... Um, Unfortunately, a lot is too too much is kind of allowed in that realm. You know, you say it's such a common problem. Um, I think that I think that there is just too much. Um, it's like our the level of acceptance in that area is so low. I mean, people, you know, what I mean, it's or so high. Maybe <laughs> the best way to put it. It's just people just accept life is. That's how it should be. Almost, it's like almost more normal, you know what I mean, to to not forgive than to really have reconciliation, you know. And that, and so you know, I'm not seeing issues addressed like this in the church. I mean, you know, at a church level very much, or even spiritual authority level. I mean, it's just uh, so it's it's a huge problem. Yeah. 
That's situational ethics. If you look at it that way, then you're looking at situational ethics versus just that person's relationship with God, you know. And unfortunately, that's what leads to people getting away from the Word of God. See, is they want to base their choices and decisions on situational ethics and not what God's Word says. Her pain was clearly understood in the process. It was her. She wasn't going to find, um, there's, there's a difference between rejection and bitterness. She had, she had gotten to the point of bitterness. You know, her issues of rejection definitely needed to be worked through. Trust needed to be built. But you cannot build trust in a relationship until there's genuine heart forgiveness. Um, that's the only way. Uh, because everything becomes conditional. And, and what happens, especially in, with people that are struggling with bitterness, is it doesn't matter what you do, it will never be good enough. So until she would forgive her husband from, his, from her heart, it didn't matter what he would do, it's never going to be good enough. And not only that, but he's never going to be perfect. He will continue to hurt her. He will continue to hurt the kids. Um, and it's never, it's never not going to... The issue is never not being hurt, you know, in our lives, you know. Uh, the issue is when I am hurt, how do I reconcile it? How do we deal with it? Repent, yes. Yes, she had to repent. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> One more question, then we'll take a break. Yeah, is it, how does this situation deal with, re, what's the difference between rejection and bitterness? Um, yeah, bitterness wants to demonstrate wrath. And so her wrath, she demonstrated all sorts of wrath. You know, no sex, that's a biggie. Uh, you know, I'm not going to talk to him, I'm not going to spend time with him, I'm going to cut him down, I'm going to be my own boss, rebellion, I mean, you name it. All sorts of wrath there. Um, you know, versus hurt of the rejection is when someone feels rejected, they're, the, the person that God created them to be is wounded. You know, and it's and so they have it. They can't trust. They can't trust their heart. You know, for that constant fear of rejection. So she had that too. You see what I'm saying? But you can't. But you can't deal with that if you're going to remain bitter. There's no. There's no sin in feeling rejected. See, then you're turned into a victim mentality. See, but there's a bitterness is a sin. See, so you got to deal with that. You got to deal with the victim mentality and the bitterness before you can ever work through the healing. Okay, we got to. I've got. I got. I'm on a time frame here, so we'll go ahead and take a break. And we save your questions though, because we're going to be here after the break anyway. So.